Well, good morning again. Um, go ahead, and uh, if you want to open your Bibles to get kind of a head start, um, you can open to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, but before we get into the, the passages that we're going to cover today, um, Jake said something during the, the breaking of bread this morning. He said uh, something, if I can quote him, uh, he said something about uh, it's hard to be proud in the presence of God. And I hope this morning, uh, as we go through these passages, um, that our hearts will take on uh, a proper attitude towards the Lord, that we will see Him in the position that He really is, and we will see ourselves in the humble position that we really are. Um, So with that note, let's pray, and then let's get started. Lord God, you are awesome and awe-inspiring, and we just finished seeing, Lord, that we're in awe of you. Uh, we are this morning uh, in awe of you. We worship you, and Lord, we're uh, but humble, uh, <laughs> uh, saved sinners, Lord, in the presence, uh, Lord, of you, a righteous and mighty uh, and worthy God and holy. Uh, Lord, we... Uh, do not fully understand your holiness and your perfection. Um, but Lord, we worship you this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you'll uh, give us a vision of yourself this morning as we go through your word. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, if you remember, Matt was speaking about the forbearance of God, how uh, if, he's, if he's such a just and righteous God, how is it that we're all not struck struck dead immediately. And it's because of His patience and His forbearance and His mercies upon us. And we worshiped the Lord last week um, for His mercies to us. We wouldn't be here this morning uh, without His mercies. Uh, And we uh, had quite a lot to worship and rejoice in um, because we were reminded last week that His mercies are new to us uh, every morning. As... uh, as the psalmist writes. Um, so this week, we're also going to talk about uh, an attribute of God. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Howard came to me and he says, Sam, he says, I want you to get up there and just preach the holiness of God. Uh, and so I was like, okay, Howard. <laughs> and uh, I thought, man, he really wants to humble the preacher now, doesn't he? <laughs> because it's a huge subject. And it's not one that... We can address in this next uh, hour uh, or in all of eternity to come, we'll be praising him for uh, his holiness. I mean, we talked about it this morning, the breaking of bread, as Stephen got up and started talking about Revelation. I was like, wow, (laughs) God wants us to know something this week. And so this meeting, as it were, is just an extension of what we started in worship this morning. Um, And we're here this morning to talk about the Lord's holiness. Um, And I want to tie it in uh, with a couple of other ideas, as if that subject wasn't great enough. um, I want to tie that uh, thought of the holiness of God in with our response to it. Um, The scripture has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord, right? That fear not being uh, a fear, you know, as as a dog is fearful of a stick, but the fear of, a, of a, um, realizing who God is and having proper knowledge and respect 
of him in his exalted position. And in our, of course, lowly position is the creation. Nowhere near approaching the creator in his majesty. Um, God is perfect. And this sets him completely apart uh, from his creation. Of course, the, that's what we mean when we say the word holy. Right? A holy is, is to be perfect, to be set apart. Right? And so when we call the Lord holy, it's not just a word that we use to describe him. It has deep and far-reaching meaning about who he is um, as the creator, as the perfect one, as the one who is set apart as God himself. Right? It's not, there's not kind of a spectrum of beings with God being really powerful and then uh, the angels being a little bit less powerful and us a little bit less powerful and then somewhere on that scale ants and bacteria or something like that. No, it's not a spectrum. There is God above and all of creation underneath. He's set apart. And we can't forget that. We need to know who He truly is so that we can worship Him properly, so that we can see ourselves properly in light of uh, who God is. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Right? And that's what we just sung in that last song that tied in beautifully. Right? We stand in awe of the Lord. He is holy. It also says in uh, Proverbs 1.7, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And some Bibles might have wisdom. Um, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, on the one hand, you have understanding who the Lord is and having proper respect for Him. And that's wisdom and knowledge on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, you have fools who despise all the wisdom and instruction of God. There's no, <laughs> there's no middle ground. You either acknowledge God for who He is or you're a fool. It's quite clear. And I, uh, I'm speaking to a, a congregation here that I'm sure none of us want to be fools. <laughs> we want, we're here acknowledging the Lord for who He is. And there's so many lies out in the world today about how, who the Lord is. There's so many fools that will proclaim uh, that God is merely loving and wants all people to dwell together in love and unity and all this stuff. And they forget, yeah, He's loving and He's merciful, but He's also holy and just. And it's a grave error to only focus on one attribute of God and forget about others. We need to really understand who He is. Because if you fall into the error of thinking that God is only loving and forgiving and merciful, you forget that there's a judgment coming one day that talks about in Revelation where all the dead, small and great, will stand before Him. And there will be many there on that day that will realize their foolishness. And it will be too late. We can't make that error. And there are even more false teachers 
that would have us think that uh, Jesus in the Bible was merely a man who came and he was uh, obsessed with all these calls to social justice. You know, he was against the tax collectors and the government oppression and, and all this stuff. And he was uh, against the death penalty, quote unquote, you know, and all these things. And they'd portray this sort of vision of him. And of course, we know that's false as well. <laughs> if anybody thinks that the Lord is against the death penalty because he spared people from death while he was here on the earth, they forget it's the same Savior who comes back and wins the battle of Armageddon with the sword that proceeds from his mouth. That sounds like the death penalty to me. That sounds like a righteous God. So we can't afford to make mistakes in our perception of God because there's too many errors out there. So let's go ahead and look at Isaiah chapter 6 and let's uh, start to get a grasp of who the Lord really is. Isaiah writes that uh, in the beginning of the chapter, verse 1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Do you get the picture of the throne room of God? With him there dwelling in inapproachable majesty. His majesty and his holiness are so bright that even the holy seraphim who's in his presence is with two of his wings, it says, he covered uh, his face. That's, that's a seraphim. That is a mighty angelic being. And in the presence of God, with two of his wings, he covers his face because of his holiness. And with two of his wings, he covers his feet to not bring dishonor to the Lord. And with two of his wings, he flies. And he cries out continuously, holy, 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 as the Lord of hosts. He recognizes that God is his commander. That phrase, the Lord of hosts, really means uh, the commander of the armies of heaven. Right? The Lord of hosts. His power is unequaled. His majesty is unapproachable. And it says the whole earth is full of his glory. If that's the testimony of the seraphim, we might pay attention, shouldn't we? And uh, I love Isaiah's reaction um, because we, t we talked about this already this morning in the, the breaking of bread. Uh, in verse 5, uh, so I said, that's Isaiah, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. Isaiah gets a glimpse of who the Lord is, and he says, I'm undone. I've seen the Lord, and I realize that the words that proceed out of my mouth, even the words where I might try and glorify Him, are unclean. They're, they're completely incapable of describing who the Lord is. And uh, this morning, is, is even as I'm talking about this, I'm realizing that uh, our language, my language now this morning, cannot begin to describe who the Lord really is. We have but a, a glimpse of a glimpse right now. And I look forward to that day that we see Him face to face, don't you? But with this glimpse of a glimpse... Uh, Isaiah says, still says, woe is me for I'm undone. And I, I hope that uh, for me, for all of us, when we come into the presence of the Lord and prayer and to his word uh, in our quiet times and our meditations, maybe we're driving and, and praying and meditating on the Lord. I hope we have this proper uh, awe and reverence of the Lord when we come and speak to him. I don't want to uh, come before the Lord and offer prayers flippantly or selfishly or even angrily praying against someone else. This is the Lord of glory that I'm speaking to. I just show Him respect. Right? Even the Lord Jesus, as He's teaching the disciples to pray, He says, in this manner pray, Lord, hallowed be your name. Right? The very beginning of the prayer, showing proper respect to God. That's how we should come into his presence. And I think that will really help, especially I tend to come before the Lord with a lot of worries. Lord, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this situation at work. I'm worried about... uh, Maybe a situation with my family or, or the future or, you know, <laughs> what shall I wear and where shall I live? And the, the Lord says, don't worry about these things. But, right, he even commands us not to worry about those things. But if we have a proper view of who he is, why would we worry about those things? He cares for the sparrows. He clothes the lilies of the field. I remember that passage in Matthew. It says, not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed with the majesty of a lily. And if the Lord does that for his creation, how much more does he care for us? You see how, how vitally important having a proper view of the Lord is. It banishes all of our fears and worries away. It makes our problems, shows our problems for what they really are very small in the sight of a God who is great and righteous and loving towards us. And I, th- I think of another, uh, switch gears a little bit, I think of another example in the, um, in the Old Testament. Speaking of worship of the Lord and coming before Him in a proper manner, um, 
There's two men recorded in Leviticus chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Um, In Leviticus chapter 10, there was two men who did not come before the Lord, giving him proper credit for who he was and hallowing his name. And uh, as I was reading this passage, um, this really struck home, um, thinking about going into the, the breaking of bread uh, do, we, do we worship the Lord properly? Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Then Nahab and Abihu, uh, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense in it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And uh, I want to just backtrack just a second. Uh, the setting, of course, is in, uh, uh, in the wilderness, um, as the Israelites have just come out of Egypt and um, they finished the tabernacle. God has given them all the instructions of the tabernacle, how to build each and every little piece from the sockets that hold the posts uh, all the way to the showbread and the incense and the altar, all the details. God had described everything in full detail. And they set up the tabernacle and they uh, put wood on the altar but they didn't light it. Fire came down from God and lit the altar. And that's the fire that they were supposed to use to offer the offerings and to offer the incense. God started that fire. That was holy. It wasn't a man-made effort. And so that's the scene immediately before this. And then the next verse, Nadab and Abihu, don't take of the fire that God started, they start their own to offer incense on before the Lord. And it said, which he had not commanded them in the end of verse 1. And so in verse 2, we see the consequences of them not worshiping God in the way that he commanded them to. It says, uh, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. It says, so Aaron held his peace. And uh, I think the, the Lord sent Moses to Aaron to tell him this, because I'm sure Aaron, in serving the Lord, all the priests were inside the tabernacle. And this happened probably... Uh, right in front of Aaron uh, as all the priests were gathered there. And Aaron's wondering, why? What happened? What went wrong? And Moses said, it's because of the fire that they offered. And the Lord says, by those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And so the Lord uh, judged Nahab and Abihu right there on the spot. And of course, Aaron, who might have had all these complaints and said, you know, God, why? When he realized why God had done what he had done, it says, so Aaron held his peace. He had no, nothing to say against the judgment on his sons. And we can all imagine the grief that Aaron must have gone through. His two sons killed in front of him. It must have been horrific for him to experience. 
But by the word of the Lord saying, I must be regarded as holy, Aaron was silenced. And of course, there's a, a warning uh, by that event that went out to all the priests and to all the children of Israel. There wasn't a single person in that camp that didn't know what happened. And I'm sure they were all greatly fearful. But I think it also helped them to understand who the Lord was. They'd seen Him part the Red Sea in front of them. They'd seen the deliverance from Egypt and all the plagues. They'd seen miracle after miracle, the manna every morning. But yet, still, (laughs) we're humans and we're a bit thick-headed. And even Nahab and Abihu, who were called to be priests, consecrated by Aaron and Moses to the service of the Lord, even they still lapsed in their reverence for God and did not approach Him the way that they were supposed to. And they paid with their lives. And that's a scary thing, isn't it? And their example is recorded for all time of of two men who uh, went about trying to offer incense uh, to the Lord, offer worship in the wrong way. And I think the the fear of the Lord remained with the priests. Not not just fear of of death, but also a proper, a more full respect for who the Lord is and regarding Him as holy. And so if I have a a theme verse for this sermon, it would be uh, the words of the Lord right here. Um, By those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. That's the encouragement to all of us this morning. When we come before the Lord, do we regard Him as holy? And yes, He is merciful towards us and we worship Him for that, but we also should be able to worship Him for His holiness and say, Lord, I realize how much greater You are, Lord, than I can even imagine. Help us to have a proper appreciation for Him and His holiness. Uh, And then continuing in Leviticus uh, chapter 10 and verse 4, Then Moses called uh, Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of uh, Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. They were warned not to tear their garments uh, or uncover their heads um, in mourning for, the, the, uh, for Nadab and Abihu. Remember, what they're wearing at the time are the priestly garments. And those are not to be torn in mourning for someone who uh, was disrespectful and irreverent toward the Lord. Don't tear the priestly robes in honor of someone 
who desecrated an offering to the Lord. They're not worthy of it. And Moses' warning is quite strict. But yet again, that warning further imparts the seriousness of what Nadab and Abihu did. And I, uh, I think that at the end of the day, that uh, Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, and indeed the whole house of Israel, had a proper appreciation for the Lord and for His power. Um, it says, but let them bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Yes, they can <laughs> weep for those who did not honor the Lord properly for fear of ourselves dishonoring the Lord. But <laughs> I think each priest went about his service more circumspectly after that. And I think the encouragement is the same to us. Do we walk circumspectly as we're out serving the Lord? We uh, at this assembly have many opportunities to reach out into the neighborhood to talk with people. We have a lot of events that we put on. Um, We have a lot of worship that we give to the Lord right here in this uh, building. And are we walking circumspectly while we're doing that? The Lord commands us to. Um, And it's really sobering when we think of the holiness of the Lord and His righteousness, um, that we ought to be paying proper respect to Him and, and examining our own lives. And we'll get into that in a little bit about the, the commandment to examine ourselves uh, before the breaking of bread, but it's certainly uh, tied to this idea. But before we go there, um, I want to point out one thing that we talked about a little bit this morning in the breaking of bread. Um, and the, the fear of falling into the, ma- the hands of a righteous and perfect God. And that's another scene that we know well, and uh, that we've talked about quite a bit. Um, but it's the scene of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, I'm going to read a bit from Matthew 26. But uh, in your mind, hold the story of Nadab and Abihu fresh in your mind as we read and listen to what the Lord's uh, praying about in Matthew 26. And I'll start in verse uh, 36. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Think of that in the context of what we just have read about the judgment of God. Two men burned up before the Lord because of His anger 
against their sin. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he knows he's going to face that wrath of God. And when those verses that it talks about him becoming sin for us, Jesus knew that. He became sin for us so that the wrath of God would judge him so that we might be redeemed, that our sins might be paid for. And by our stripes, or sorry, by his stripes, we are healed. Right? Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane is thinking ahead to the full wrath of God that he knows is going to be poured out on him. The nails that went through his hands and his feet were insignificant. The pain of that was insignificant compared to the wrath of God for our sin. And Jesus knew that ahead of time. And so that, that fear that you might have been feeling a little bit earlier, just thinking about God's wrath being poured out on Nadab and Abihu, and getting a little glimpse of God's righteousness and His judgment, that little bit of fear that we feel in our own hearts, Jesus understood the full truth of who His Father was. He knows And to be separated in fellowship from his Father and experience his wrath for our sin moved him to great sorrow in that garden. And yet he prayed, not as I will, but as you will. I can't... I can't begin to describe words just absolutely family how awesome it was that the Lord Jesus would know see I've gone into a lot of painful experiences not knowing how much pain was going to be there and still dreaded them right you think of uh, maybe you think, think of going to the dentist or something like that and you know there's going to be a certain amount of pain and discomfort and you, get, you dread it right but that's just a d- d- tiny tiny thing. Words, words fail to describe how much the Lord Jesus went through on our behalf. In verse 40 of, of Matthew 26, and he comes back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And so he left them, went away again, and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And we know he came back and found the disciples asleep yet again. And it's, 
It's to our shame that we're pictured here in the disciples. As the Lord undergoes great travail of his soul. And knowing about what he's about to endure. And praying to his father. The disciples are a few feet away asleep. I don't want to be asleep in recognizing what the Lord's doing for me on my behalf. And too often times I am. Too often I come on Sunday morning still half asleep, as it were, without my heart just overflowing in praise. What should the disciples have been doing? Praying right alongside their Savior. Praying that they would not enter into temptation while the Lord was laid away, led away and crucified. But no, they were, they were weak and so are we. I don't, I don't judge them saying, I could have done better. <laughs> I would have been curled up right alongside them. And it's to my, to my shame that I realize this. Because what is the Lord doing right here? He's praying to his Father, saying, Lord, if it's possible at all that I not drink this cup, nevertheless, let your will be done. He's aligning his will perfectly to the Father's and taking my sin and your sin upon himself. We have to recognize who the Lord Jesus is and what he did for us. The Lord is so worthy of all of our worship. We will probably never understand the full depths of what the Lord went through. I don't see how we could. But yet, what little we do understand, it is still our right and proper reaction to worship Him for it. Right? And that's why we come here every Sunday morning and break bread and remember the Lord's death as an act of worship to Him. Of course, because He commanded us to and we want to be obedient. But what is more worshipful than obedience? Right? He says, by this, people will know that you love me if you follow my commandments, if you love one another. Um, and we're here, we were just here an hour ago, breaking bread together and worshiping the Lord for who He is. And it's altogether proper and right that we do this. And uh, for me, it's uh, often the highlight of the week to just have a, a time uh, with the saints to be praising the Lord together for what He's done for us. Right? We wouldn't have any other reason to be here together. Right? We're from all different walks of life, from all different areas of the world, all different backgrounds in our schooling and occupations and all of that other stuff. Right, The one thing we have in common 
across all of us is the Lord Jesus. And the fact that we're, uh, we've taken his, his name on ourselves, right? We call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ. Right? That's what we have in common. He brings us together. We owe everything to him. All of our blessings and our hope of an eternal future, all of that is because of one moment in history where the Lord offered himself on our behalf. And so when we come together and break bread together and share the cup, we're sharing in worship of the Lord and we do it until he comes again and receives us to himself. It's a sacred time. It's not something that we take lightly or just do because we were supposed to. It's our, our worship to the Lord. And the Lord gives us, uh, of course, detailed instructions about how we're supposed to go about it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read kind of the second part of the passage because our, our time is short. Um, starting in uh, verse 26, talking about Paul's writing here about the Lord's Supper to the church uh, in Corinth. And he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But then there's a warning. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, so we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. See, Paul is addressing uh, an error in the church where the, uh, the breaking of bread where the saints would come together uh, was turning into a, a feast um, where people were giving themselves to gluttony uh, and other errors. And Paul says, no, no, no. That's not what this is about. When you break that bread and when you drink of that cup, it's not about any desire for food that you might have in your flesh. It's about remembering the Lord and His death and His body until He comes. That's what it's about. He says, if you're hungry, eat at home. Right? And of course, we don't bring enough bread here to feed everybody anyway. <laughs> um, but it's because of these verses in the Scriptures. We're not uh, disregarding who the Lord is, right? We're, the brothers are standing up and worshiping the Lord uh, and everyone together worshiping the Lord in our hearts. But it's, it's a very solemn uh, observance of the Lord's death and body. And it says um, that he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. And it says, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That is, they're dead. 
just like Nadab and Abihu for offering profane fire before the Lord. There are people in the church that were physically judged because of their disregard for the Lord and His worship. And um, this is not a judgment that was just uh, confined to the Corinthian church. Um, It's a judgment that's still uh, upon us even to this day. And so when we come together and break bread together, right, we ought to be examining ourselves that when we come, that we're right with one another, that we've forgiven each other our trespasses, that we've confessed our sins, maybe even our secret sins in our heart before the Lord so that we are not before Him in an unworthy manner. You remember the, the priests um, back in, in Leviticus, they were set apart, right? They were anointed uh, with the oil. They had their ha- uh, uh, Moses and Aaron laid hands upon them. They were set apart and examined. They were washed, remember, ceremonially. ceremonially. But they were also commanded to be clean before the Lord. And um, so, in like manner, we also ought to examine ourselves in our own hearts, uh, making sure that when we're coming before the Lord, we're not coming before Him in a dishonorable way. Because then we would eat and drink judgment against ourselves. And uh, I had a, um, a brother a few years ago uh, when I was in uh, L.A. Uh, going to church. He shared a story about a young man who was coming uh, to the breaking of bread. Um, he was not a Christian, and so they uh, exhorted him you know, not to partake of the communion uh, service when the bread and the juice were coming around. And he insisted on doing so, even though they, they told him not to. And he would come to the, to the meetings uh, inebriated uh, and, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, so there was a great many saints praying for him that, um, that he would come to know Christ and quit his, his, uh, his disrespectful ways towards the service. Um, and then one day, uh, after they prayed for him for a while, and they received a great shock um, uh, because this young man was found dead in his apartment, um, standing up. They found him standing up, dead. And so uh, this fellow, um, Bill Wolotarski, was the one who told me the story. He said, great fear went out in the assembly because they knew that they prayed for him, but they'd seen the disregard he had shown to the Lord. And so great fear fell upon all the saints there at that assembly. So I don't think that the the, uh, judgment that Paul was talking about um, was just confined to the Corinthian church. I think this is a very real thing that we're all commanded to have a proper respect towards the Lord. All right, so what are our, what are our takeaways from knowing about the Lord and His holiness? Well, obviously, we should be worshiping Him properly for what He's done. Not scared to come before Him, Right? but saying, Lord, we recognize who you are. Like Isaiah did 
He says, I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. Right? But we know from the, the passage uh, that an angel brought a coal and touched his lips and he was purified. And so we, uh, as believers before the Lord, we are forgiven as well, right? Through, we, we're claiming Christ's act as forgiveness for our sins. We know it's not our own righteousness with which we come before the Lord. It's his righteousness that he's imputed to us. We do not have to come before the Lord in fear because of his righteousness which he's given us. But neither do we want to disrespect and take for granted what he has given us. Because it is great. And um, to, to fail to recognize the Lord for who he is um, is disrespect to him, but to honor him for who he really is as we come together and worship him, it's a great thing. And the Lord is honored and glorified by it. And as we go about our, uh, our week, let's remember that we're priests of the Most High God. We're ambassadors of Christ. And we ought to be examining our actions as we go before, how are we representing the Lord? Are we, represent, are we uh, showing the world what it looks like to have a heart of proper respect towards God? Are we being examples? Or are we giving others cause to disrespect the Lord and blaspheme against Him because of our own actions? If we're acting in anger, uh, if we're not exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit in our daily lives, we give opportunity for others to say, you call yourself a follower of Christ. How then are you doing such uh, wrong and dis disrespectful actions? See, the, everyone in the, the world has some idea of who the Lord is and how great God is. And they'll know when we're not following that which we say that we ought to follow. And it's a, uh, a great challenge and an encouragement to us as we go throughout our week, as we're in the workplace, as we're in our homes, as we're talking to our neighbors. Are we acknowledging the Lord for who He is? When you come before the Lord in your quiet time, are you coming before Him and starting off? I mean, obviously you don't have to say it over and over, hallowed be your name, right? We're not, it's, not a, it's not a repetition, but is that your heart, heart set and your mindset? Lord, I'm here this morning to open your scriptures and to worship you and to receive my daily manna, as it were, my daily bread. We so much better off in our walk with the Lord if we recognize who he is. Um, and of course, when I was uh, talking earlier about the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It gives us such a fresh appreciation, doesn't it, for who the Lord is and how much He went through on our behalf? We ought to feel loved and valued so much more by knowing how much the Lord Jesus went through on our behalf. It was no light thing that He undertook in paying for our sins. It was no small thing 
And we ought to be uh, examples of those who love much because they've been forgiven much. It's so tempting to us, isn't it, to forget how much we've been forgiven? So that's my encouragement this week to all of us, um, is to remember who the Lord is and to live out our lives as ones who have been forgiven much. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we desire to worship you this morning. And Lord, I admit uh, far too much, my heart does not understand how much I've been forgiven. Lord, if I just had a better understanding of who you are, Lord, we pray for that. I pray uh, that for all of us here, Lord, that we would all collectively understand how much we've been forgiven and how holy and righteous you are. Lord, we worship you this morning. It is your uh, just, uh, it is what you justly deserve for all that you've done for us, for all the blessings you've given to us. And Lord, we look forward to joining the shout in heaven. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. The whole earth is full of your glory. Lord, we pray that we would be instrumental in sharing that glory with others this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.